0: Lloyd with Morgan she's checking the, goalkeeper. Off the,
1: post and the pay disparity between the men and women is is just too large and and we want to continue to fight uh, the generation of players before us fought and now it's our job to to keep on fighting the pay cap for the women's Major League Soccer players is 11 times less than the pay cap for men's Major League Soccer. 11 times. Rapinoe gets the towards oh, can you the
2: USA's life.
0: You are listening to Give and Go with Rotas Wadera, only on Girls Soccer Network. Hello and welcome. I am your host, Rotas Wadera, and thank you guys so, so much for tuning in to another episode of Give and Go with Girls Soccer Network. This is episode 50. 50- can't believe we're here, man. 50 episodes. This is a blessing. We, we appreciate each and every one of you who download and and listen to this. And please, by all means, give us feedback. Let us know about the show. Give us whatever we can do to improve, whatever we can do to, to provide better content for you guys. Please, please, please let us know. And of course, for all the latest and greatest in the world of women's soccer, go to www.girlssoccernetwork.com. Check us out on Instagram at Girls Soccer Network or on Twitter at Girls Soccer Net. All right. With that being said, episode fifty features a very, very special interview. This is a interview and a story that you do not want to miss. We will get right into that first. I'm just going to give you a breakdown of what we got on today's show. Of course, Challenge Cup and regular season overlap—a pretty weird situation. A lot of the NWSL news that's been coming out. Uh, there's some big stuff. We definitely want to get you caught up on the Women's Champions League, other stuff in Europe. There's so much great stuff out there right now. So we're going to get to all that in a little bit, but first, I definitely, again, want to highlight to everyone, this interview is centered around Haley Carter, a former Division I collegiate athlete and former professional soccer player who got into coaching and is now working with the uh, Afghanistan national team, and soon they're going to end up playing their first ever match since the Taliban fled Afghanistan. So this is a big, big deal. And again, it's in a country where, you know, most women don't just have the opportunity to do anything, let alone play soccer. So this is a huge deal. Again, we're going to let uh, our CEO and founder, Jen, give you a little intro before getting into the interview. We really, really hope you enjoy guys. Take a listen.
2: Hey, this is Jen, the co-founder of Girls Soccer Network. I'm super excited to share my conversation with Haley Carter, who, among the many accolades she had as an NWSL player, coach, and overall advocate of women's soccer, was an essential part of the group that masterminded the escape of the Afghanistan women's national team. This for me was the story of 2021, which is saying something given the newsworthy year that spanned from the grim to the triumphant. But this event was really like no other. The stakes could not be higher. This was about life or death, freedom or repression, and of course, the beautiful game we all love. So how did Carter get involved? It was in April 2016 that Carter joined the Afghanistan National Women's Team as an assistant coach. It was a fledgling team with a limited history, formed only in 2007, and which was only made possible by a more tolerant approach to equality and human rights. In a country where previously girls and women were barely allowed out of the house, let alone an education or the chance to work in positions of authority, Carter knew that the potential of the team was to score more than just a few goals on the field. The former keeper played Division I college and signed for the Houston Dash before moving to the sidelines to become a coach. But Carter had one more pedigree that led her to captaining the ragtag squad that she assembled to help get the women's soccer team out of Afghanistan. She spent nearly eight years in the U.S. Marine Corps deploying to Fallujah and Al-Asad Air Base in support of Operation Iraqi Freedom. There was truly no one who could quarterback this mission quite like Carter did. The thing I love about this story is how it puts the importance of the game in perspective. Is soccer important? Of course it is. How can we deny it? Something that gives us so much joy. But when you understand the bond that these women on this team created, you understand the essence of the game. It's not always just about winning trophies and scoring goals. It is and can be about so much more. Listening to Carter talk about this experience really puts that into context. We really hope you enjoy the interview. So you played Division one soccer at... At Navy, right? Mm-hmm. And yep. then and then you went on to play for the the Dash and many other teams as well, right?
1: Yeah. So I when I commissioned, I commissioned into the Marine Corps out of Navy, and I always get questions about that. So right around when I graduated, it was about 16% of a graduating class commissions into the Marine Corps. I think now that's increased. It might be closer to somewhere around a quarter. It might be 20 to 25% of a graduating class, but it's really competitive. It's really competitive. I, I will tell you that more often than not, many of the Marines wind up being varsity athletes. I don't think that's by accident. Hmm. But I commissioned into the Marine Corps. And of course, when you're a Marine, your identity is being a Marine, which was a- Really, kind of an awkward thing for me because I had spent my entire life being obsessed with women's football, and so my identity was as a footballer. Right. And uh, but in the Marine Corps, your identity as a Marine goes first, and rightly so. But I was very fortunate throughout the time my time in the Marine Corps to be be able to compete on the All Armed Forces team. So in the Council for International Military Sports, in you know military world championships, I competed for the U.S. Uh, and I was actually able, I was stationed in, um, Hawaii for a little over three years. And while I was there, I was in between missions cause I was overseas quite a bit, but in between missions, I was able to play for the Honolulu bulls and the W one league, which is actually a lot of people don't really know about this league, but it's full of former college players and up and coming players. But yeah, now, you know, she's come up and play. So it was actually quite competitive. You know, Mm -hmm. we'd all get together at YPO on a Sunday and play in these games that really ultimately are like rec league, but they were really competitive and it was a blast. So I was able to continue, you know, playing the game. I played in Iraq while I was on deployment, any tournament I could get into. I was usually the only woman that was playing, Mm -hmm. um, except occasionally other Navy women soccer players would be stationed in the same place. So, and then I came back. So once I got out of the Marine Corps, I got out, I came off active duty, And not long before the dash were established. So it was just kind of, the timing was just sort of fortuitous. So then I started playing for the dash in 2014 and I played for them 14, 15, 16. Mm -hmm. I tried to retire once after 2014. And then Randy asked if I could stay on and then I stayed on until 2016. And then by that point, I was really into coaching. I was already working with the Afghanistan women's national team. So my priority really shifted to um, coaching and moving out of playing, you know, on top of a full-time job and playing at the same time is really stressful
2: anyway. Oh, that was,
1: uh, that was 2016. So I retired from playing professionally in 2016.
2: So, okay. And then you started to coach the, the Afghanistan women's national team then. Right.
1: So I was actually coaching them halfway through that season. So, there was um, a portion of the 2016 Dash season. I missed about a month of that season because I was in camp with them mm-hmm. in San Francisco or I was in Europe scouting players. So I had already started coaching. I had coached while while I was playing for the Dash, I was coaching as a volunteer assistant. I started at Houston Tillotson and then I um worked at um Sam Houston State for a while and then I transitioned to working, you know, solely with the Afghan women's national team as the goalkeeper coach.
2: Yeah, that's um, and so, so many kids and girls in our community are fascinated by this, this moment. Can you just talk me through how you got these women out of Afghanistan?
1: Yeah. So I think what's really important and, and I've had a couple various groups reach out to me about, you know, doing a keynote to to talk about this. And, Mm -hmm. and one of the the biggest themes I try to impress upon folks is that we were only able to do this because of the trust that had been established well before the fall of Kabul.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, If we did not have the level of trust that we had at that moment with those athletes, we wouldn't have been able to accomplish any of it. Um, And so I think, I think, what's really important for people to understand is it wasn't just this like group of women who had had a relationship as coaching staff or program staff with the Afghan women's national team. And we just swooped in and got these girls out. It was that the, that happening was much, much longer in the making. Um, Mm -hmm. it happened over a period of time and really what started that, that sort of building as a family was from the very beginning. So in 2016, uh, I came on as the assistant coach. Kelly Lindsey came on, who's a former U.S. international. She came on as the head coach. Kalita Popow, of course, was the program director. Uh, we hired Joelle Muro, who is now an athletic trainer for Gotham okay. and the NWSL. Uh, she's a good friend of mine. She was working with FC Dallas at the time. Okay. And we, so we tried to create essentially an all-woman staff. The only male we had on staff is uh, Dr. John DeWitt, who – is a sports scientist that I believe works for the Cubs now. Um, yeah. He was our sports performance guru for the dash when I played, so I had a bit of a love-hate relationship with him. But <laughs> he was brilliant, which is why we brought him on. And his wife, Nazreen, is Egyptian, so he also is very sensitive of culture mm-hmm. um, across the Middle East, the Levant, he in Central Asia. He he really understands that. So so we we put this staff together geared towards building trust with families. And I had to have conversations from the very beginning to convince families, husbands, fathers, mothers, to let their athlete participate. And, (laughs) and it took a lot of convincing because there had been a history of corruption and abuse in the Afghan football Federation for years prior to us coming in. And so You know, we had to convince these families that, listen, we are going to take care of your athletes no matter what. They are our number one priority. Their health, safety, and welfare is our number one priority. Of course, we want to be able to compete. But this is much bigger than that. This is just about getting these women out and letting them be the examples that they are for society and what Mm -hmm. Afghan women are capable of achieving. And so that process started right away. And then you get into, in 2018, we had the sexual assaults uh, allegations that had come out while we were in a, a camp in Jordan. We were playing two friendly matches against Jordan and um, Prince Ali had invited us in, you know, it's, it's mm-hmm. his role in charge of the the JFA had brought us in. Um, and as we were departing camp, we, there were things that were happening during the camp that were just really inappropriate. I had caught one of the male assistants who came from Afghanistan, who was not on our staff, but of course the Federation sent these two male individuals. Um, I caught one in a room with an athlete and I was like, no, under no circumstance are you to ever go into an athlete's room unaccompanied by anyone else. Like that's not going to happen. Right. Um, So we had some, some small things come up like that. And, and, uh, but as we were departing, you could tell there was something that was going on with the players that were in Kabul. And as you started to peel that onion back, um, it became abundantly clear that there were athletes who were being sexually and physically abused. And, and we're not going to tolerate that, right? That's happening on our watch. Like Kelly and I feel personally responsible for that. And that's the one thing that we assured parents and husbands and and families that we would not not let happen. So naturally, you know, we want to pursue that through, to ensure that those individual staff members, men are no longer allowed around women athletes. I want them out period. Right. Um, You know, so we went to the Federation we told the president of the Federation that um, these two individuals are no longer to be associated with the women's national team. They need to be removed right away. And of course, one of them got promoted to being in charge of the legal committee. uh, And the other got promoted to being in charge of the U 17 boys national team. So, so, what yeah, <laughs> right
2: Wow. Well, um
1: so of course immediately we continued to push that and continue to push that and and as word spread that you know these that kalita and these two american women coaches are pursuing and chasing this down more women who had been abused started to come out and tell their story to us and so it became abundantly clear that this was a systemic issue it was horrific uh, the stories that we were hearing were just, I mean, awful, horrible. And so, you know, we went to various individuals in AFC, we went to various individuals at FIFA, and, you know, we just couldn't really seem to get anywhere. FIFA at that point had uh, a very unclear reporting structure for making an anonymous report of abuse. Uh, nope, and, and we actually, we tried to follow the fifa protocol for reporting abuse twice uh we reported through this link that they had buried on their website and of course i can't tell you where those reports ever went to because we never heard anything about it so naturally when you want to make something happen at fifa you have to go through the press right um and so meanwhile we're trying to do as much investigative work as we can uh to learn more about what's happening to these athletes and what's going on so we can start to build a case meanwhile You know, we've got a strategic sort of relationship with Susie Rack at The Guardian. We're thinking about The New York Times and AP and how can we really start to put pressure on FIFA to investigate this? Because clearly there's there we have enough here and not only at a sporting level, but also at a criminal level within Afghanistan. These are crimes. Uh Uh, And so also working with prosecutors and in, in the attorney general in Afghanistan to start to develop a case against these individuals. And of course, the primary individual was the president himself of the Afghan Football Federation, Karamuddin mm-hmm. Um And so, you know, pe- people who want to learn more about this whole experience can, can g- Google it, you know, it's free, you can find it. Uh, Susie Rack did some incredible stories on uh uh, on the survivors of this abuse and what had happened to them and and her coverage her coverage was so crucial to forcing fifa to take this seriously and to investigate it uh and as it came you know out in the wash they banned and kareem for life you know Mm -hmm. he's been Mm -hmm. fined a million swiss francs how they're going to get that money i have no idea Mm -hmm. um you know, he's wanted by Interpol, the attorney general in Afghanistan prior to the fall of Kabul had been searching for him. Um, so this was a big deal. And of course, he tried to appeal it to CAS. And mm-hmm. the really interesting thing is that CAS, um, you know, we had to set up whole processes both with FIFA and the ethics committee and at CAS on how to navigate these sorts of issues because, you know, Cass is used to dealing with match fixing and things that things that do not involve sexual assault survivors. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, you know, we really had to help them develop a roadmap of how to hear from survivors, how to protect their identity, uh, and essentially running what would would be akin to a a criminal investigation and a criminal trial. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, they don't have processes in place for that. So we really had to help establish that. And as a result, right, you've seen um, you've seen incidences of abuse come out of Canada, come out of Haiti, come out of uh, various nations in Africa. Come it's It's uh, our own. Our own. Our country. Own. Correct. Yeah. Right. So. So. We've sort of those women, and I think, you know, God bless them because so many of them, something that's important for people to realize is that our players who are members of the Afghan diaspora who were based outside of Afghanistan, Back in 2018, we're asked to sign a contract by the Afghan Football Federation that basically limited them. It prevented them from talking to anybody in the press without express written authorization from the Federation to do so. And we all knew it was a ploy to get them not to talk about what we were investigating. And those women who, for the most part, were the starters of our national team, refused to sign it and therefore were never invited into an Afghan Football Federation camp again. At the end of 2018, um, the Afghan Football Federation took a contingent to play in the CAFA championships and not surprisingly they didn't perform well they didn't invite a single one of our um, starters aside from one individual um, they didn't invite any of those starters in so essentially those women outside sacrificed their international careers for former teammates some women they didn't they didn't even know they'd never Mm -hmm. met they didn't know them but they were willing to sacrifice their careers for them. And I think, you know, for me, that is the first time in my life I have ever seen elite-level athletes make a sacrifice for each other. Mm. And and I think in the United States, and I'm just going to say this, I think it's something that we've struggled with. Um, you know, athletes in the United States care very much about their well-being, very much about what their ability to put food on their plate and pay their bills and, mm. and do that. And I can appreciate that. I can appreciate that stance. So, so when women literally sacrifice their international careers for other women that they've never met before, it needs to be appreciated for what it is because it's, it's unprecedented. And, uh, so long story short, right. We, you know, we were having to get women back in 2018 out of Kabul in the middle of the night, uh, getting them flights out, making sure we had the Western union cash in the middle of the night. Once we got them to a location, we had to keep them off the grids. They weren't using cards. Um, and then we had to work with FIFA to get them asylum in Europe. But because all of that had taken place over 2018 and eventually 2019, because this was reported towards the end of 2000, the camp in Jordan was the beginning of 2018. Right. Uh, it finally, we finally forced FIFA to make moves in December of November, December of 2018. Mm-hmm. And he was not banned until the world cup in 2019 and kelly and uh kalita and i of course were all at the world cup Mm -hmm. and um we had been putting pressure before the world cup for this to come out for him to finally be banned and of Mm -hmm. course it's announced that he is um but it was a very long it was a very long process Mm -hmm. um but so then you fast forward to the fall of Kabul and we still have athletes that we were working with in 16, 17, 18, 19, mm-hmm. um, who were there. And so they knew already that our, where we are coming from is that your health safety and welfare is our number one priority. And we're not going to do anything that's going to put you at a risk greater than what is realistic at this point right there's inherently a risk in getting you out of afghanistan but the reason i bring that up is because if i if i told um if i told one of our athletes to jump they would ask how high there was never a a question on you know, from an instruction standpoint. So if I sent them a route, like this is the, this is where you need to meet. And this is how you need to navigate from Panger petrol station to Abbey gate. You need to avoid these locations.
2: They, they did it. Um, how, I said, were, need, how did you know? Like how, how, so, you so this is where this, is where, <laughs> this is
1: where, this is where having a former Marine Corps officer as your assistant coach comes in pretty handy. So uh, I obviously have a network of my classmates at the Naval Academy. uh, And, you know, you hear about this like digital Dunkirk perspective, right? Like we... Mm -hmm. Those of us who served overseas have relationships with individuals in those countries, people who worked with us, and it's a priority for us to get them out. And because of that effort, it was really easy for me to get plugged in um, with my former like, national security folks, uh, Intel folks, and other individuals I had worked with in the Marine Corps um, to start sharing real-time information on Signal, for instance. All of us are trying to get our people into the airport, but knowing where our Taliban checkpoints out, so sharing grid coordinates for that. And I was essentially going Going into this is where you start to get to the more like operational side of it. But I was going into Google Earth and creating overla- overlays using paint, right? Everybody's mm-hmm. got paint on their computer, mm-hmm. using paint to show. To mark where Taliban checkpoints were based on grid coordinates that were being communicated to me in real time, because you have an individual who's on the ground near the airport who's talking to a colleague of mine who's working to get that person out. And that colleague is sharing with the rest of us hey, my contact on the ground just reported that there's a Taliban checkpoint at this grid coordinate. So then okay. I would go and mark where that Taliban checkpoint was. So I knew where my I knew where our athletes were at. So when it was time for them to move to the gate to, to try and get in. Like like I knew the route that they should go to avoid um, as much, you know, Taliban presence as possible. Um, So -hmm. that that was really fortunate. But again, the point here is that there was a trust that was built up over that you know, span of years that when we told them it's time for you to move, you have to move, you got to get your stuff and you got to move. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you navigate conversations about families, which I didn't want to have those conversations. Kelly didn't want to have those. So we tried to avoid them. I yeah. um, just told them like, listen, you guys have to make your own decision. We're not going to tell you if you can get your family to the gate, we will do everything we can to get your family members through. But you know, this, that, that this is for you guys, you guys have to decide that we'll do everything that we can. Cause <laughs> we didn't want to have to break them up. You know, so it yeah. was a tough, it was a stressful, it was, it was a week at least, close to two weeks almost. And I don't, I probably slept maybe two hours a night for a week. I was unbelievably sick at the
2: end of it. Like my body had had enough. Right, uh, right. But what an yeah. incredible story.
1: It, it, to be honest, it's so wild. I think that if I, opportunities have I had to give a keynote speech on it, it I've, I've essentially not given a keynote speech. I've used photos and screenshot mm-hmm. things that we have shared you know, while that week was happening, both with athletes and as a group and showing pictures like the overlays that I was telling you about that we put together that, you know, would not have been Marine Corps worthy. I mean, I made overlays in the Marine Corps that were like some pretty high speed things, but (laughs) these were, these were pretty simple, but they were effective, but just showing people that, cause I think when you, when you see it and, and what it really looks like, you because when you hear the story it it sounds like it's an impossible miracle because it really was it really yeah. was and so when you see what we did and what you know what we used the tools that we used the strategies that we gave them. I mean, they had my phone number written on their arms. So in case their phone was stolen, they could use somebody else's phone to make sure to text me to let me know what was going on. You know, U.S. forces were, of course, rightly jamming signals as they got closer to the gates. We had to explain to them, you're going to get within this this." Mm sort of perimeter this distance of the gate and your cell phones aren't gonna work anymore. So you need to make sure that we know when you're approaching that. And so I know when you're in that space that we're not gonna be able to communicate with you. And then of yeah. course we had we had contacts inside the airport because something that a lot of people don't understand is that if your name wasn't on a list that was inside the airport and you didn't mm-hmm. have individuals going to the gate calling for you,
2: you were not going to get in. That's what um, you know, we that's like as people reading about it and watching it, you know, you yeah. know that there were so many people that were turned away. Like, how do you get on that list? You know, our
1: athletes were were turned away um, once, but it was because the 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 folks who we were communicating with at the headquarters at the airport had not the news had not quite made it to the gate yet. So, of course, we had to, you know, we told them just relax for a few hours and we'll tell you when to move back to the gate. But we were really fortunate with Australia being the government that was willing to grant access and asylum, humanitarian visas, essentially. There's a difference, by the way, between asylum and humanitarian visas. Australia Uh is offering humanitarian visas, but they did it. You know, we had foreign ministers working 24 hours a day that were approving visa requests in real time. Mm-hmm. And we were putting through visa requests for minors that didn't have passports. All they had was a national ID. And the picture on that national ID was from when they were like three, there was a lot of communication back and forth. And of course we were able to verify identities because we knew who these athletes were. We knew who their families were. We knew who their siblings were, but you know, that's why I'm, everybody had a role to play in that. And I it's, if we didn't have humanitarian and immigration law, who knew what needed to be done. If we didn't have Craig working on the foreign ministers in Australia, if we didn't have Kalita and Kelly in Europe so that I could get some sleep and they could take over and then I would get sleep, you know, I would take over when they would get sleep. I mean, it really, it seriously was a miracle that we were able to pull it off. I mean, looking back on it, I still can't believe that we did it. I mean, but- you
2: know, to me, to me, it's like, you're just such a symbol of what is powerful about playing a team sport. Obviously, soccer is the sport that, Mm -hmm. you know, um, and Being able to synthesize information from other people, give instructions, you know, and work together and do something incredible. You know, it's not like, you know, you have other, you know, you have the Girl Scouts and military and all of these other pieces of your life that have added to this ability that you have. And um, it's extraordinary. I'm just, you know, you're such an incredible example of of the power of, you know, being able to reach people, you know, through teamwork, really, you know, and, yeah. and affect change, real change, you know, um, just emotional talking about it. I'm telling you, we, yeah. we, we had a, we just had a phenomenal team.
1: Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we each, especially Kelly, Cleta and I, cause we've been working together now for six years
2: mm-hmm.
1: and we know what skills each of us bring to the table and we know what each of our weaknesses are. So it made navigating that pretty simple because, you know, I bring the operational side and I will make sure that they get what they need to get to the airport safely. And, you know, like we, we had them make a sign um, that said, um, that had uh, john basilone's name on it john basilone is a marine um he's a legend legend in the marine corps so um only a marine would tell uh, an afghan woman soccer player to write the word john basilone <laughs> on a sign in very big letters so that when the marines at the gate saw it and saw her they knew that it was coming from somebody who who told her to put that sign on. So then they had a conversation with her. Mm-hmm. Um, and I will tell you that the, the very first person to get our team captain through the gate and three or four other athletes that she had with her um, was a Marine who wound up being killed on that last day in August oh. um, in that explosion. So, you know, that, that young man genuinely saved lives. And I think we all need to appreciate all 13 of those individuals um, truly saved lives of people that they didn't know, uh, of young men, women, children uh, that were not combatants. And they did it in an environment that, you know, as a Marine myself, it's something that all of us have struggled with watching it happen from here those Mm -hmm. folks were set to manage that mission in an impossible situation there was no defense in depth there was it was it was it is not in any way optimal from a military standpoint how that was conducted um Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so of course plenty of military folks who it doesn't matter whether you're a democrat or republican it doesn't matter there are a lot of us out there that are very frustrated with how that evacuation took place because We we did not do right by the Afghan people. We did not do right by our Afghan partners. And we definitely did not do right by our U.S. service members who were put on the line to make that happen. So a lot of credit goes to them. But yeah, we just, again, it, things just fell into place. We had a good team. Everybody brought a different skill set in. And, um, you know, I, I had... I had uh, Kelly, we laugh about Kelly being the daffodil because she's like Mm -hmm. the one who's nice to everybody. Mm -hmm. Kalita and I are not like that. Like I don't have time for nonsense. So, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and of course we were contacted by so many people over that week who are like, oh, we have money, we can buy flights. We can do this, we can do that. People who I appreciate are, are like private do-gooders. And I love that. Like, that's really cool. Except mm-hmm. you guys are completely misjudging the situation on the ground. I don't care how much money you have. And I don't care how many seats on a plane you think you can buy. If yeah. I can't get my individuals into the airport, it doesn't matter.
2: Right, right. So right.
1: I don't I don't have time to talk to you about this like half-cocked idea that you think you might be able to buy seats on a plane. Because right now I don't even care about that. I just care about getting these athletes and their families into the airport. Right. Um, right. So having to like vet through that. And um, I remember speaking to one individual who was like a photographer in New Jersey or something. And, and I'm, I'm like, I'm going a million miles an hour because I'm, we're already making moves and I've got things going on. And, and then, and, and this poor guy really got kind of the, the the shit into the stick for lack of a better phrase (laughs) and dealing with me because I was, I was, I think I was like 72 hours in of not getting any sleep and moving through things. And I have already slipped into Marine Corps mode. Right. So then I get on with this poor photographer from New Jersey, who's asking me all these questions that are like rookie league questions. And he's like, listen, I'm not a a military person. So I don't know. And I was like, well, I am a military person. And right now I'm in the middle of something. So unless you have something concrete to offer me, I don't have time to be on the phone with you right now. (laughs) Right, right, right. And I had to hang up on him because in the meantime, and I felt bad for him because I'm sure he probably thinks that Haley Carter, she's a real jackass, but, and I am, (laughs) but, but in that moment, like I have bigger priorities. So I'm okay with it. If he, if he goes to the grave thinking that I'm an asshole, I'm all right with
2: it. That's why I Um, waited. That's why I waited six months. (laughs)
1: <laughs> I appreciate that. Yes. I did. I you know I I had to put out a notice on on like social media but to yeah. tell people like don't call me, don't text me, don't I will yeah. I will breathe you on the situation when it is over, but in the meantime I need you guys to keep my phone as free as you possibly can.
2: For um Sure. Let me ask so. you let me ask you a question. Um there's a girls Afghanistan national team and they Apparently in portugal ended in portugal exactly yeah so it's, following it's, their story which is it's that we
1: that's that scenario came out um that whole mission operation soccer balls which was run by robert mccrary
2: mm-hmm.
1: um that our priority to get athletes out of Kabul had to be the senior women's national team players and the reason is because Of the sexual assault allegations those Mm -hmm. women were a national target target of the highest scale um the youth girls national team like here i'll ask you name one athlete on our u17 women's national team
2: for the u.s for the u.s um Mm -hmm. Let's see, what's her, Ali sent? Sen, maybe, is she now probably old? I can probably name a couple, but that's unusual. Okay. But because I right. deal with, yeah. But think
1: about, think about who you are, right? Yeah. Running yeah. Girls Soccer Network, and sure. you have to think about who yes, are
2: Yes, exactly, yeah.
1: So the point being, those girls and their risk profile was nothing. Yeah. Compared to the senior women's national team. So we, of course, had to prioritize. Um, there were youth national team players, these individuals who had reached out to various different, um, groups and they had reached out to, um, Farhunda Mutaj, who was a, um, member of the Afghan women's national team based out, she was based out of Canada. She's some, she's a player actually that Kelly and I had recruited into the program in 2016. Mm -hmm. They had reached out to her. So she started working with her network to try and get them out. Mm-hmm. um they had approached us about trying to coordinate on some things but again um we were we were way down the path of getting athletes sure. the senior team players out to um to australia um so of course they they did a couple of different things it took a while for them to get them out to portugal um mm-hmm. there was mm-hmm. a lot of moving pieces um moving oh, yeah. around the country to different safe houses if you will to keep them safe but the really fortunate thing for those athletes is that portugal has granted them asylum Mm -hmm. right remember i was talking about there's a difference between humanitarian views and asylum with asylum they have statehood so they actually become citizens of
2: portugal right Um,
1: so they have portuguese passports um which is a really you know fortunate thing for them but again you know we we had to prioritize so it's good that that Farhunda and her network of individuals, Robert McCrary, who was working out of the White House at the time, Mm -hmm. um, were able to come together and get them out. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Um, I will tell you what what's really interesting to me in all of this, and um, one of the young women who I had been working with uh, and talking to on that initiative as well. uh, I think that there was some frustration at first that you know me being a Marine officer and an American, I didn't try working things through the United States before, Mm -hmm. you know, partnering and moving the thing, moving everything along with Australia. And the reality is, uh, the fact that I am a former Marine officer is exactly why I did not try Mm -hmm. to pursue something through the United States, because I know better. Um, we have CIVs, you know, special immigrant visas that have been pending for years for our Afghan partners who have worked in special forces, who've been interpreters for us, um, you know, and we can't get them through. Right. So. You know, like too much red uh, tape. You had too too much much red tape. Too much red tape, and and then of course the result is, you know, they they also were not able to work anything through the United States, and these poor athletes had to go to Portugal. But Mm -hmm. I think that that that's a testament, really, to how poor the American approach to working with our partners has been, and um, and I know in th- today's you know the current political discourse people struggle with the concept of afghans coming here because you know the vetting and they're their taliban and they're terrorists and and that's just nonsense it's just mm-hmm. nonsense um those individuals especially the ones that are coming in on civs have been through more background checks that are so robust in nature that um most americans would fail them <laughs> so right um you know, so it's it having compassion, I think as as an American community and and welcoming Afghans as they uh, try to rebuild their lives is is really important for me, and that's another key theme I always try to impress upon folks when I talk to them about this is that you know we. We just need to be compassionate. Nobody, nobody, and this is especially true now in Ukraine. It's true in Afghanistan. It was true in Iraq. It was true across uh, you know, Uganda and their civil war. It's true everywhere. No one wants to leave everything that they've known their entire lives, their families, their possessions, their careers, and move to a country where they don't speak the language. They don't, their religion is different. They're Culture is different. Nobody wants to do that, Mm -hmm. right? So we need to appreciate what these people have lost in their lives. And and again, just show some compassion, you know, and appreciation for how fortunate we are in in the lives that we lead and the community that we live in uh, and look out for others who have been less fortunate because the only difference, I saw this quote the other day and I loved it. The only difference between me and a refugee is luck.
2: That's it. I read recently that the team, the national team in Australia got together Mm -hmm. and is... um was able to play a bit yes. And, so. so are you in touch with them? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
1: So they um they are training now with the support and resources from a coaching standpoint, kit, uh field space, everything that they would need to be successful. They're being supported by um, Melbourne Victory, which of course has a men's and a women's side. And the intent is to be able to assess sort of where they're at and then get them plugged into a league where they'll mm-hmm. be competitive. So right now they're competing unofficially as the the Afghan women's national team within a league, so their league starts in April, and they're going to be playing home and away, you know, type events, and uh, and then so we're hoping that at some point we'll be able to to bring you know women's football back. But the reality is, if you track what's happening in in Afghanistan, <laughs> the Afghan Football Federation isn't recognizing any women's team. Right, um, and so their ability their ability to represent Afghanistan internationally is is nil. What I'm upset about. Um, and it, this drives me bonkers is when I see because obviously I've, you know, having worked with Afghanistan for a long time, I have plenty of uh, like Facebook friends, we'll say, who are connections. And I'm always seeing them post about, you know, Afghanistan is playing futsal at the youth level and they've got beach soccer and they have all these events that are happening in a national stage. And no one is asking, why are the women not Participating. Right. Well, we know why the women aren't participating. But then my next question is why is FIFA allowing the Afghan Football Federation to play in any event where only men are allowed to play? If you want to make change, yeah, shit can the men's program for as long as you need to until the women are allowed to play again. Um, and we saw a similar response in cricket. If the Afghan women's cricket team couldn't play, nobody wanted to play against the Afghan men's cricket team. And cricket is a massive deal, right? Right. In, in Afghanistan. So but we're not seeing that kind of response and outrage in the footballing community, um, because right now there is no women's program. At, mm-hmm. in any level in the Afghan Football Federation. And so it, I, I do think that at some point, hopefully we'll return, but I am just thankful that Melbourne Victory and Craig mm-hmm. Foster and the team, uh, Moya Dodd and her Women on Side group, so many folks from the footballing community that we know have come together in Australia to make sure that the senior women's national team still has a place to play and to train and to grow in their footballing careers and maybe hopefully potentially get the opportunity to represent their country again in the future.
0: Wow. That was incredible. I, I, I'm just in utter awe, just speechless of all of the things that so much to unpack. I mean, you know, as we mentioned before the interview, they're finally going to get that opportunity to play now and represent their country. The Taliban are finally gone. And so you have an opportunity now for them to, to really spread their wings and fly. And it's it's really great to see how that situation Um, ended up working out for the better now but you can imagine just what the players had to go through having to make such life-altering decisions in in regards to their family and and all that that comes with it and then you're talking about the incorporation of multiple countries and trying to to transport people across you know across country lines like it's Wow, this is by far like not even close to the most hard-hitting interview uh, with the most that we could have possibly packed into one episode possible. So again, so much credit. Of course, I mean we we have to give our flowers to to Haley Carter for the work that she was t- that she's doing and will continue to do, I'm sure. Uh, but wow, what an incredible incredible story and all the work you know that. Haley Carter is doing you know we greatly thank you and and of course a huge huge shout out to Jen as well for having this sit down with her and having such an incredible in-depth interview on on something that is quite the story again the Afghanistan national team finally will get the opportunity to represent Afghanistan on on the national stage in a friendly in their first game since the Taliban have left and so now you know we finally get to see a country that Hasn't had as many opportunities. Is there are a lot of countries um, on that side of the world that still are behind, not nearly as progressive and far more conservative in, in terms of women's rights and and where we should be. We are the exact opposite over here in America, right? It's two completely different. Uh, it's just there. It's there's different parts to the world uh, that that just do things differently, and it, and it seems crazy. It seems you know wrong um, but that's how that's their culture and as much as we want to you know bash it or or criticize it you know it it still is theirs with that being said over time this is going to be critical like making statements like these and being able to to build off of it you know now everyone is going to be able to see what the women can do and hopefully it'll open more doors and more opportunities for other nations like this around the world To you know, have a women's team to represent everyone. All right, next up we get into the NWSL. Wow. Um, it's been a wild, a wild last couple of weeks for the NWSL between the Challenge Cup and the NWSL regular season kicking off at the same time, I guess. Not even it's it's more of an overlap. I mean, you have the Challenge Cup semifinals, and that's going to happen. And then the NWSL regular season started. You know, and kicked off on Friday night with Angel City taking on the North Carolina Courage. So it's it's a weird situation. And as a team, and for the teams in the Challenge Cup who are in the semifinals, how do you navigate this having to, like, rest players? Or who do you put out there? You're going to get a shuffling of, of rosters. So, so yeah, it's it's a real hodgepodge of, of games here. You know, the, the Reign and the Washington Spirit are going to play in a semifinal match for the Challenge Cup and then they're going to play but before that 3 days prior they're going to play each other in an NWSL match so both games have meaning we say that the challenge cup is a preseason game but i don't buy you know it's not like a preseason tournament it's really not that is it like I, part of this overlap and everything else like it's leading to a lack of recovery time right for for players so they're having to deal with so many injuries like we talked about this last time and it's still impacting teams in so many different ways the red stars have had a tough go um, with the injuries and their depth is certainly going to be tested this NWSL season I think it still favors them though to you know pick things up a little bit more Um, I think heading into you know the the semi-final right based on how things are going you got the Kansas City current versus the courage the You know, the current did so well to knock off um, the Red Stars and and seize their moment. Alex Loera with one of the goals of the year, potentially. So if you're the current, I I think you're in a great place with how things are going around the organization. Yes, they did lose the first game of the NWSL season pretty handily, but in a cup competition like this, with all of those former Courage players getting to go up against <laughs> their old team, you know, like Kristen Hamilton is absolutely going to be ready. Haley Mace is going to be ready. Will Sam Mewis play? Not entirely sure. But either way, a lot. there's a lot of familiarity here between these two teams. And I think my pick is probably the North Carolina Courage. I got the chance to, to watch them live more on that in a minute. But I think... The courage here are the team that should get this done. They they look like um they're starting to get back to their old selves. They're regaining that identity again. And so for me, I'm taking the courage the whole way. Uh it would be a big upset for me if the current can keep this rich run of form going, bounce back from the loss and get this win. It's entirely possible my pick is is for the courage, though. I think Dabinia is just uh, for me, she's the MVP of the league, arguably the best player. Um, Trinity Rodman, of course, and some other players will, of course, be in the discussion. Mallory Pugh, Alex Morgan, um, so many players. But for me, Dabinia is the cream of the crop right now. She just looks like she is so locked in and looks great. So for me, I think she's the difference in that game against the current. I think they they make it to the final. And then the Spirit in the Rain, um, again, a tough one because I think the Rain – The rain. remember what happened last year. I felt like they were the favorites in that game. They were expected to win all the talent that they have. Really, you know, they brought the most talented and deepest team here to the Challenge Cup. So they are the favorite of the four teams, I believe, the OL Reign. I, I would pick them to win it all. I think they should get past the spirit here. I think... You know, this spirit run really, I mean, it really comes down to for the OL Reign have you found a way to slow down Trinity Rodman? Is there a way to slow her down at all? Because there's no one fast enough to try and shadow her, right? All she needs to do, like, if if she's running around all over the place, you better have a player that has the stamina and the ability to shadow her and make every single touch that she has difficult. Because right now, it's just far, far, far too easy for Trinity Rodman out there. Like, she has l- bundles and bundles of space to just run into. Um, and, like, until teams find a way to, like,. And that's the problem, though. You can't necessarily double-team or put multiple players on her because you have Ashley Sanchez, and you have all these other weapons. Uh, so that's what makes the spirit so, so good, right? Is you can't take away just one piece. Like, Rodman has to have her space because if you, don't, if you close down her, then Sanchez gets more space to do what she needs to do, and then Kelly O'Hara gets more space on the right wing From that right back spot to bomb forward so there's all different types of things that the spirit are going to come at the rain with i feel like though after last year um and how much more time this rain team has had to come together even more i'm taking the rain and i'm taking the courage and i like the rain to win the challenge cup but we'll see we'll see how it goes of course if if you feel like you know if you gotta pick Please share it with us all on our socials, wherever that may be. If you got whatever it is about this, you know, Challenge Cup semifinal, like, be sure again to, to let us know. All right. feed any, any feedback is welcome. Any feedback is welcome. All right. So, yeah, that was the Challenge Cup. Right. And we've talked about the injuries. But I got to tell you guys about... Wow, what an experience it was. I went to the Angel City Home Opener against the North Carolina Courage, and it was, from start to finish, it was perfect. It was literally, it like, getting there early, um, getting to walk around the stadium, enjoy the atmosphere, enjoy the weather. It was awesome. And then you go, and you... Um, get ready for the game, and the and yeah, before the game, the fanfare, the the owners on the field, the fireworks, the atmosphere. Julie Foudy leading the the three clap that is going to become a, a staple for Angel City FC. The three clap is like a new our call to action during the games, and then of course, like the game starts right. My expectations honestly weren't too high after the initial Challenge Cup games, but they have really. Pulled together defensively, and they looked fantastic. Fantastic defensively. Um, the goal within two minutes, right? Junendo putting in a great ball on the after coming off the corner kick, and uh, Vanessa Gild heads it home. The her story is an incredible one as well. You know, working from where she worked all the way up from you know the collegiate level to to france to getting this opportunity now to getting capped by the canadian national team she's come a long long way so this is a you know a big opportunity for her and converting that as a defender from you know from across that came in incredible and then endo herself who was the woman of the match the player of the match i mean what an effort from her a goal and an assist i think For them to get the three points, like for them to see it through, Dabinia scored 10 minutes into the second half. And I was very, very worried. You know, I was like, Oh boy, here we go. 35 minutes of having to sit there and try and stop him from scoring. And they did, and they did the job. They did the job so, so well. It, It truly was incredible. Um, and I'm definitely going back. You better believe that. And so if you ever get a chance to, to go out to an Angel City game, I'm telling you, it, it will be worth it. Um, the next one, I believe, is against the Pride. Definitely going to be getting out to that one as well. So, yeah, everyone out here in the L.A. area, highly recommend. If if you are in the L.A. area, of course, or you don't even have to be in the L.A. area. I don't even know why I'm saying that. Where, if as long as you get that opportunity to be in LA and get a ticket over the summer, um, there's still about you know eight to, to eight to ten game home games remaining. You know, like get in on it. I'm telling you, it will be worth the experience. All right, before we get into more NWSL news, I just want to let you guys know about an awesome new program that Girls Soccer Network is launching with the NIL. It's called Soccerista United, or abbreviation SU. The program allows for young socceristas to grow their game by being mentored by elite college athletes from across the country. Girls Soccer Network has gathered 10 experienced D1 athletes who perform not only on the field but in the classroom and community to teach the future generation about aspects of the game not typically covered in practice. Wow, that is a tremendous, tremendous opportunity. So again, be sure to follow us on all social media platforms. Check out www.girlssoccernetwork.com and continue to check this out. All right, this is going to be a super awesome program. I know we've got athletes spread out, collegiate athletes spread out across the country. We should have one at Iowa, at the University of Iowa, one at the University of Oregon. So like we're spread out across the country, guys. So definitely keep an eye on Soccerista U, a new program from Girls Soccer Network that we're launching with the NIL. Again, keep it locked with us. You definitely do not want to miss out on that. And a couple more uh, important notes to get to. Uh, We have the final piece of the puzzle Uh, from all of the coaches who were head coaches last year in the NWSL are finally, I mean, actually, there's still no guarantee that he's going to be removed from his post. But James Clarkson suspended indefinitely um, after an investigation that was done last year. He says he's shocked, um, but I just find it very, very interesting how um, we all know what the, the situation is. There was a chant that was done by the team after they won the challenge cup in 2020 that was heard and houston has i gotta say credit to their pr department they have done an incredible job of sweeping this under the rug and making sure that there's no video of it there's no nothing of it so no one can actually see you know what it what it was but i believe it was a chant of different indian foods and um as an Indian person, it definitely concerned me a little bit. I was kind of, when I heard the chant for the first time, I was kind of irked. I was like, what is the need for this uh, in, in some senses? So uh, for him to get the suspension and to not be fired, I like, look, I get it. Uh, like, I guess you can't fire him over that, but based on what's been going on in the league, like we should just cut ties and and, and do it. Um The problem is that there's too much at stake here for Houston. He's the head coach and GM. He spent all this time building the team. Granted, look at what the courage and the spirit did moving on from... Uh, those situations, right? Whoever the lead assistant was or the best possible assistant was able to step up and do an incredible job. So who knows? That could actually be a similar case coming in Houston where the next person up could do an amazing job there. You never know. Um, But yeah, James Clarkson in hot water for that suspension. Uh, we will see if it turns into a termination letter, but no word on that yet. I'm sure more will, will come out as, as we keep monitoring the story. But James Clarkson, the Houston Dash, just, uh, I mean, we've said enough about th- this whole topic, so I think we can move on from it. It's just a matter of, you know, how this situation is is going to play out for this particular incident, which we know is not ideal. So yeah I, I will leave it at that with <laughs> before I before I uh you know say anything else that I don't want to say that's not nice about James Clark's so I'm just gonna you know leave it at that um moving on Stephanie leBay finally retiring um, after an incredible career I think you're not only really talking about one of the best ever in Canada's, you know, footballing federation, like that's probably the best, you know, Karina LeBlanc, I'm sure who we've had on the podcast before, will have something to say about this, but you'd either put her or Stephanie LeBay, right. As the greatest keeper in, uh, in Canada's history. So I think LeBay, I mean, she's a trailblazer, a pioneer, like find me another player that will be like, yeah, I want to make the men's team so desperately that she, she really went in the trenches and did that with a Canadian team. Like, she really went after it. Um, I do not believe she ended up making the team, but still, like, the fact that she was in it and went in there with the point to prove, I think, speaks to just her character, her toughness, and, and everything about what she embodies is like Canadian soccer so for her to to be retiring now it's you know it's a sad sight to see but it's also you can also sort of feel a changing of the guard it's kind of what Kaylin Sheridan has been working towards these last couple years because she's been ready uh, for real like she's been ready to be their number one for the last couple of years she might not have gotten off to a great start this year but the point is is like it's time for Kaylin Sheridan to take over and but Stephanie LeBay, of course, we, we give you your flowers and what an incredible, incredible career. And, and so thank you for for that. Uh, we got to as a goalkeeper, I got to show you some love. You know what I mean? Like the goalkeepers got to stick together. The whole being another level of crazy is absolutely true. And so you know we've got to shout each other out. Got to show some support. So thank you, Stephanie LeBay, for, for an incredible career. A couple more uh, major stories. One, this was hilarious when I saw this: uh, Carly Lloyd becoming the minority owner in Gotham FC. Now, if this was—it's right, just so funny how like different athlete can blur public perception in in that sense. So like Michael Jordan does it in basketball, and nobody cares. Everyone's like, okay, sure. Um, whereas you know like that competitive desire he can't stay away from the game right same thing applies to Carly Lloyd but to her it almost seems like it was borderline like fomo like she's missing out on stuff cuz she couldn't have waited like she couldn't have waited a couple more months to do this like take a little more time off carly like really like take a break you know like really just like take the time that you need but here we are, um, still involved, and not only that, but involved with the same team that she just left. Like it's like you go from being their teammate to now being their boss and owner, like like that, like. It almost feels like a power move than it does, like, oh, for the love of the game. Like, of course, Carly loves the game. Of course, she wants to stay involved. But, like, there's feels like there's some underlying other intentions to this. Like, I don't know. I can't seem to shake it when it when it comes to Carly, like, post-retirement. But, you know, at the same time, there are going to be plenty of people who are going to be happy to see her um, being around the club and... So, you know, we're going to have to monitor and and see how this situation (laughs) plays out. Um, I'd be very interested to see how it impacts the locker room uh, because Gotham, to be honest underperformed um, in the Challenge Cup based on the roster, and based on expectations, so we'll see if Carly can bring some type of change, will she be a hands-on owner, will she be hands-off, we have no idea, but something tells me she's going to want to be involved in some shape or form, something tells me, I can't quite put my finger on it, but so there's something about Carly Lloyd that tells me that she is going to want to be involved in this process, so be sure to follow that drama that's that's going to be interesting because Gotham is in a um is in a precarious spot after the the challenge cup in terms of like I'm sure they expected to do a little bit better as well so Going into the regular season now, how do they put it all together? I think their depth will be tested, but I think they're absolutely still a playoff team, a top three team in the league, possibly, if they can have everyone playing together and everyone's talent level comes to the the forefront and everyone's playing at their best. They're a top three team in the league. So we'll see how Gotham's year plays out now with Carly Lloyd as a new minority owner of the team we're going to wrap things up with a preview a quick preview of the women's Champions League. The final is coming up in a couple of weeks. Of course, Wolfsburg were unable to to pull off the comeback against Barcelona and uh, Lyon was able to defeat their rival PSG in the semi So we're going to have yes, the two best teams in the, you know, in the world arguably. I mean, Chelsea is in that discussion as well, but these you know, are the two teams of the most pedigree in terms of Champions Leagues one. Now, Lyon, of course, is still the more dominant overall in terms of Champions Leagues one. They they are the gold standard, but this Barcelona team is just on another level right now. It's hard. It's going to be really, really hard for Lyon to to I think slow down this Barcelona team yes you have Wendy Renard and some incredible defenders and incredible star power but you could just sort of feel this shift almost a little bit of a changing of the guard type feel where Barcelona is going to be able to continue their period of dominance now because between uh you know Alexia Putas, um Jenny Hermoso all their stars, Caroline Graham Hansen, uh, and Martins, like they have so many different ways they can come at you that it really becomes tough. Now, Lyon, of course, has he- Ada Hegerberg back, uh, the best striker in the world. So, you know, th- these teams are really going to go after each other. Like they are really, really going to make this a fun, intense game. Uh, it could honestly go either way um, based on the two teams coming into this game, but I still edge Barcelona. To me, I feel like they are the best team in the world right now and just on another level locked in um, in, in just a completely different other run of form. So for me, I'm, I'm taking Barcelona in this one, but that is a star-studded matchup among star-studded matchups. Like, that hopefully is one of the more viewed games in the world. I don't know if it will be, but I think that... You know this is a huge matchup for the women's game. It's gonna be highly televised, highly you know marketed and, and watched so be sure to, to be on top of that whenever I believe May 21st. so get ready for that. All right, that is all that we have for you on what was episode 50 of Give and Go. again, I cannot believe we we're at 50 episodes again so grateful for this platform with an incredible company like Girls Soccer Network with an incredible founder in in Jen and just everything about what we've been able to do and will continue to do, you know, we just want to keep providing the best amount of content that we can for you guys. So again, for all the latest and greatest news, go to www.girlssoccernetwork.com. Check us out on Instagram at Girls Soccer Network and on Twitter at Girls Soccer Net. Again. We love you guys. Thank you guys for the support. Again, be sure to share, download this podcast wherever you get it. We love y'all. Peace.